Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for tonight. We thank You for another day of life. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy to us. We thank You for Your kindness that You've shown to us all the days of our life. We thank You for the reminder of our brothers and sisters who've led us as we've worshipped and sang praise to Your name for Your grace and Your love and Your mercy for us. What can we say but thank You and worthy is the Lamb that was slain so that we might do everything we can in these days of our life to honor Jesus and to bring honor and glory to His name. We pray tonight for Brother Tim as he preaches and they give an invitation with the students there to follow Jesus and for students to be confronted with the gospel and for them to believe and be saved. We pray for our children who gather and we pray for, we thank you for all of our teachers who work so hard with them to encourage them and teach them God's word and support our wonderful parents and others for all of our Bible study teachers who are going on right now, Brother Jeff and all the choir. Thank you for all that you do among us. Thank you for your work among us. We pray that you're pleased with our endeavors and what we seek to do. We thank you for the opportunity to have fellowship around the Word of God tonight in the middle of the week, and we pray that you might help us to hear the words of Isaiah the prophet, for in his words we hear the words of the Holy Spirit. May we gain understanding and insight into the glory of the Messiah, Lord Jesus Christ, as it was foretold hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of our Lord. We thank You, Lord, for this time, and we thank You for the privilege we have to read the Word of God in our own language, the gift of our English Bibles. Thank You for it. And thank You for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. Bless our time now in Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening. Good to see all of you. It's kind of a... I don't know exactly how to do this. Here we are. Anyway, Isaiah 41. If you found the outline back there, you can find your place there. Good to see all of you. And may the Lord bless you. I'm glad that you've joined us. Some of you are joining us. Um, uh, and you've not been with us before, so we're starting on our journey through um, Isaiah. Uh, starting in chapter 40, going through 66, Lord willing, we'll make our way through that. If the Lord Jesus comes before that, then that'll even be better, and that'll be good. We'll have a full understanding of these things there in that event. But I want us to do this because I think there are some significant things for us to learn about the Lord Jesus, our Messiah, and the Savior and Redeemer of the world by taking a look back at Isaiah. Uh, perhaps there is. I don't believe there's any of the other prophets who are more... Uh, uh, there, that there are a, a larger number of quotations in the New Testament than from the book of Isaiah. And so tonight we continue our journey. And if you've not been with us, so you can always these uh, we're, we're we're recording these. We're not doing these uh, things live uh, while we're in here. 
but we record them and they're on the website if you're interested in those in the past outlines. Isaiah 41, Israel is now encouraged by God. Let's read these words together. Coastlands, listen to me in silence and let the peoples gain new strength. Let them come forward, then let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. Who has aroused one from the east, whom he calls in righteousness to his feet? He delivers up nations before him and subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword, as the wind-driven chaff with his bow. He pursues them, passing on in safety by a way he had not been traversing with his feet. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth from forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am He. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and have come. Each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. So the craftsman encourages the smelter, and he who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good. And he fastens it with nails so that it will not totter. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you surely. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but will, find, will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you a new sharp threshing sledge with double edges. You will thresh the mountains and pulverize them and will make the hills like chaff. You will winnow them, and the wind will carry them away, and the storm will scatter them. But you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. The afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none. And their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water 
and the dry land fountains of water. I will put the cedar in the wilderness, the acacia and the myrtle and the olive tree. I will place the juniper in the desert together with the box tree and the cypress that they may see and recognize and consider and gain insight as well that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. Present your case, the Lord says. Bring forward your strong arguments. The king of Jacob says, Let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place. As for the former events, declare what they were, that they may consider them and know their outcome, or announce to us what is coming. Declare the things that are going to come afterward, that we may know that you are gods. Indeed, do good or evil, that we may anxiously look about us and fear together. Behold, you are of no account, and your work amounts to nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. I have aroused one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun he will call on my name, and he will come upon rulers as upon mortar, even as the potter treads clay. Who has declared this from the beginning that we might know? Or from former times that we may say he is right? Surely there was no one who declared. Surely there was no one who proclaimed. Surely there was no one who heard your words. Formerly I said to Zion, Behold, here they are. And to Jerusalem, I will give them a messenger of good news. But when I look, there is no one, and there is no counselor among them, who, if I ask, can give an answer. Behold, all of them are false, their works are worthless, their molten images are wind and emptiness. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of Your Word, and may You be our teacher tonight as we hear these words of encouragement to Israel in their times of trial. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Isaiah is speaking to Israel about the future encouragement they are going to need when they go into Babylonian captivity. This is an amazing thing. This is prophecy. This is what the Bible says. This is why we read our Bibles, folks. We read our Bibles because we don't know what the future is. We don't know what the plans and the occurrences that will happen in our life. Uh, I'm repeating this now for those who are joining us, but in chapter 39, Hezekiah the king uh, shows the Babylonian representatives all of his uh, treasure chests. He shows them everything. Then Isaiah comes and asks him, let me just ask you to turn there just so we can all catch up. So uh, Hezekiah the king of Judah has now met with the, uh, the, the representative of the king of Babylon who's sent letters because Hezekiah was sick. And now the Lord has healed him, and so he's better. And so we, we find Isaiah the prophet coming to Hezekiah in verse 3. What did these men say, and from where have they come? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And the king answered, They've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I've not shown them. 
Then Isaiah said, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store in this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left. What's the point of this? Well, we find that some approximately some 100 years, 80 to 100 years later, Babylon comes and some of you have been walking with me for a long time and we studied the book of Lamentations where Jeremiah the prophet witnesses the horrible, uh, the horrible overtaking of Jerusalem by Babylon. So the Babylonians, the Babylonians came and captured Israel and hauled them away uh, into uh, captivity. So Isaiah is now, chapter 40, Isaiah is now beginning to say words of comforting and encouragement to ahead of time to people who are going to be, to a, to a nation that's going to be in captivity. That's quite an amazing thing. But that's the way the Word of God is. God's Word is the same for us today. Uh, we're not at the end of history. We're at a time in history where the grace of God is seen and God's grace is shown to all but the day of the Lord is coming and history will move to another period according to God's purposes and His own plans. So what did we read in Isaiah 40? Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. This is chapter 40, verse 1. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, and that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord. We talked about this, uh, this passage that John the Baptist is also described as one calling for the way to be cleared out, for the Lord to come. Then we saw the greatness of God to encourage God's people in trouble. Isaiah reminds them of how great God is. I say to you tonight, whatever you're going through, God is great, God is good, and He is able to help you in all your circumstances. But now we come to God's encouragement in chapter 41. Now look, <clears throat> reading your Bible takes some skill. You're reading, you're reading the words of a prophet preaching. He's preaching to Israel. So first of all, these words apply to the nation of Israel. They have their application historically to Israel. Here's what I would say to you about this. Sometimes we love to go to the Old Testament and we're going to see tonight. There's a, there's a classic uh, Bible verse here, a verse of God's Word that finds its way into frames and on people's walls and, and that's fine. But we must first remember these words are given to Israel historically. Isaiah is preaching these words to a nation about to go into captivity. And so... Uh, I, I've, what I've done in the outline tonight is break this chapter up into its nine parts to try to give it some uh, order and to try to describe what we're reading because all of us haven't had time ahead of time to read this. Now you'll know where I'm at and if you come back to join me, you'll, you'll know where we'll be next time we meet um, in chapter 42. And we'll begin to see develop the promises about Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's encouragement to Israel in times of trial. I don't know where, I know most of you fairly well. 
I don't know everything about what's going on in your life. I try to pray for you. Pat and I pray for you. We thank God for you. But all of us in this room are in trials in one season of time or another. Some are harder times of trials than others. But the Lord Himself said that all, who, all of us will endure trials and those who live godly will suffer troubles. So tonight I hope that you will see, first of all, what God says to encourage Israel. This is an amazing thing. This demonstrates to us the great love of God, the encouragement of God for and His commitment to Israel, the nation of Israel. I've reminded you of this and I, again I'm frustrated. If you go to Romans 11 you discover uh, that this time of hardening uh, in the life of the nation of Israel, the actual nation of Israel, is a partial hardening. And as Paul said, and I believe, Israel will be saved. There's a future day when Israel will repent of their sins and come back to the Lord. These are historic events which will take place. And so we're, we're reading these words uh, as believers in Christ, and we will gain insight from it, encouragement, but let's make sure we've read it in here. You see, we learn something of God's grace and mercy by how He treats a nation that always refuses and disobeys Him. This is the amazing thing about God. He does the same for us, for by grace are we saved. How many times has God waited on us? I'm talking about all of us in this room. Waited on us to come back. How many times has God called to us to come back? The Holy Spirit has sought to draw us back, to encourage us, to convict us of our sin, to show us where we are in our error. This, is, this reveals to us the great heart and love of God. Uh, just the amazing thing of this, this, these statements that we now read. So, First of all, God reminds Judah that he is the one who works all things out for their good. Notice the first four verses. <clears throat> when he uses the phrase, uh, when Isaiah says coastlands, <clears throat> he's talking about the nations. He's talking about the land clear to the sea. Coastlands, listen to me. Here's God speaking. Listen to me in silence, God says, and let the peoples gain new strength. Let them come forward, then let them speak. You see, this is the way Isaiah speaks. The prophets speak as God is speaking. They speak on God's behalf when they preach. Now, verse 2, who has aroused one from the east? Now he begins to talk about this one. We know it's King Cyrus, a historic king who came and actually destroyed Babylon. So he's jumping ahead in history. Who has aroused one from the east? The answer is God has. God's the one who moves kings and does things in history. When you listen to the news, as I always repeat to you, remember this. When you see what's happening in the world, you see what God is doing in the world. These are His actions because He sovereignly has purposes to accomplish His plan in the world. Who has aroused one from the east, whom he calls in righteousness to his feet? He delivers up nations before him and subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword and as the wind-driven chaff with his bow. He pursues them, passing on in safety by way he had not been traversing with his feet. 
who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? Here it is. Answer, I, the Lord. I'm the first and I'm with the last. I am He. This is again a declaration of God's greatness and glory and His eternal He's greater than history. He's above history. He works all things according to His own purposes in time. So there's that promise. It sounds familiar to us, doesn't it? Because we hear it from the Lord Jesus. And I've mentioned that to you at the bottom of your paper. Jesus promises believers, Revelation 1, 17, 22, 13. I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is what the Lord Jesus says. Because He is God. So God Himself speaks to Israel here to say what we hear from the Lord Jesus. Listen, that's important for you and me. Before I ever was, the Lord was. Before I, when I'm done, the Lord still will be. The eternal relationship I have with God is only because of knowing Jesus Christ. He's the first. He's the last. He is the one. He is the one who matters. So God reminds them... I'm doing things with all these nations and kings and armies. Uh, and this will make more sense to them when they're in Babylon and they're looking at the Word of God and saying, Oh, this is what Isaiah promised. This is what God promised through Isaiah. So first of all, God reminds them, as I remind all of you today, you know Romans 8.28. It's one of our favorite verses, isn't it? God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. Everything in your life. Everything in mine. This is what God. I am He. So the Lord says. I am He. Please notice when you read these verses in the, Prover, in, the, in, the, in the prophets. Watch for quotation marks. The quotation marks are your friends. <clears throat> someone speaking. So these quotation marks are the, are the words of God. God secondly describes the helplessness of idolaters who prepare for war against the coming ruler uh, who will conquer them. This is, this is actually so pitiful. Because this is the way idolaters live in our own world today. Trusting in their own ways. Trusting in their own gods. Their man-made gods. Look at this now. The craftsmen, excuse me, the, coast, the coastlands have seen and are afraid. What are they seeing? They're seeing this, this one who's coming, this king who's taking over the world. This coming one that God's raised up. The ends of the earth tremble. Each one helps his neighbor. What do you do in times of trouble when the enemy's coming and you're, uh, and you're an idolater? Well, you say to one another, be strong. That's about it. Not be strong in the Lord. Be strong. Be strong. Take courage. The craftsman. Then he describes what he's described before. This is what... This is what they did when they made their actual idols. And many of you have seen pictures or been in places of the world where there still are man-made idols standing in the world. Craftsman encourages the smelter, uh, the, metal, the, the, the man who smooths the metal with the hammer encourages the other who's got the anvil beating it and they solder it together. And they say, when they finished all the work on their man-made idol, it is good. This is, the idol. this is the God that's supposed to save them. This is the God that's supposed to save them. And so here are their two quotes. Be strong and it is good. He fastens it with nails. Why? Why do you have to nail down an idol? Well, it might fall over. 
What good is an idol that's fallen over? So here we see the amazing condition of idolaters. It's the same today. That's why I gave you at the end of your outline what John said to all of us. Keep yourself from idols. Guard yourself from idols. 1 John 5.21 Idolatry is alive and well on the earth today. Third, God promises Judah that He will bring them back from captivity. Here you have strung together five promises. These are famous and wonderful promises. They're encouraging words. First, to Israel, the nation. Secondarily, of course they have application for us because we hear the Lord Jesus saying words much like this in the Gospels. But you, Israel, see in other words, the idolaters nail down their gods, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. See, all of a sudden there's going to be a gathering back together. They've been dispersed to Babylon, but now he's describing you who have been taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. What a gospel message for the children of Israel. We're going to find Paul later picking up some of this preaching of the good news and putting it in the book of Romans in chapter 11. How shall they hear without a preacher? We'll see these same words because this is the good news God is preaching, speaking to Israel. The nation of Israel was the servant of God, planned it was designed to be the servant of God, chosen by God out of all the nations to show the rest of the world the glory of God. But Israel rejected this role. And here's this famous verse that many people quote. It's wonderful to quote it and it still applies to us. But again, I want to remind you who it was first said to. Do not fear for I am with you. The Lord said that, didn't He? Don't be afraid, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These words are of tremendous encouragement to the children of Israel. They are to us too. This is what God does. When I'm in trouble, I can go to the Lord Jesus. I can find in Him hope. I can have, He can remove the fear from my life. I don't have to live in anxiety anymore when I know that I have a great God that I trust and believe in and walk with Him. And I see what He does. He upholds me with His righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Now He goes back to talking about how He will take care of them against those who are their enemies. Those who contend with you will be like nothing. They'll perish. You'll seek those who quarrel with you. They'll be, they won't, you won't find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. Again, promise. Another promise. Here we see this protection from enemies. A promise. I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand. Who says to you. Notice again. Read these words. Do not fear. Second time. He says it in verse 10. He says it again. Do not fear. I will help you. A third time, 14. Do not fear you, you worm, Jacob. 
you men of Israel, I will help you. Notice again, the second time, I will help you, declares the Lord. Notice how he can, describes himself. I will help you, declares Yahweh, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. You can't have any greater promise than this coming from God Himself. That's why we hold so dear to the words of the Lord Jesus. He speaks to us as our Lord and Savior. We hang on His words. And that's why down, in the, uh, down here on the things to remember, I gave you Paul's statement from Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, no one, nothing. That's how we live in triumph as believers in a world of trouble. If God is for me, who can be against me? That's what a believer says with confidence because we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we discover the second, the, the next thing about what happens is that God promises that Judah will defeat their enemies by God's power. How can a people who've been taken and hauled away uh, in captivity become conquering people? Well, notice, behold, I've made you a new sharp threshing sledge with double edges. Stuart, what a mower. What a mower God made Israel to be. A threshing sledge with double edges. You will thresh the mountains and pulverize them and will make the hills like chaff. You will winnow them and the wind will carry them away and the storm will scatter them. Notice, but you will rejoice in the Lord. Look, look what happens when we, when we know, when Israel knows that God will help them and that God is with them and they don't have to be afraid. Notice, they will rejoice in the Lord and glory in who? The Holy One of Israel. Isaiah uses this phrase to describe God perhaps more than any of the other prophets, the Holy One of Israel. Perhaps that's why, because perhaps that comes from Isaiah's own vision of God. You remember in Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy. He heard what the angels were saying. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people with unclean lips. He saw the holiness of God and he saw his own sinfulness even as a prophet when he was called to preach and be their prophet. But he is, he is captured by the reality of God in his holiness. He is the Holy One. Notice, he is the Holy One of Israel. He is the Holy One of Israel. That phrase is extremely important for us to see. Well, God promises to care for those who are thirsty and needy for His own glory. He has this section. He says, the afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none. Here's the condition that people find themselves in during this time of their trouble. Afflicted and needy, seeking water. Their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. There is this commitment that God has that He will never leave them nor forsake them. What did the Lord Jesus say to us? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? 
This is, this is what I want you to see. The beautiful, the beautiful words of God to Israel are the beautiful words of parallel from the Lord Jesus Christ for all of us who are believers. Amen. These are the words you live on. These are the words we hang on. I will not forsake them. I will not forsake you. I am with you. I have chosen you. Uh, he said earlier. And that's what Paul reminds us of. There's so much that Paul says about us being chosen. And chosen and being God's chosen ones. Uh, Colossians 3.12 at the bottom of your outline. Those who have been chosen by God. I just pulled the phrase out from that verse. But I want you to see here that God is taking care of those who have needs. You may be tonight in some circumstance where you think there is no hope for me in my condition. But that's not true. That's not true. Uh, the Lord is merciful even to the lost in their desperate conditions. And He is certainly careful to never forsake His own people. What did David say uh, in the psalm? I was young, now I'm old. And I have yet to see the righteous forsaken, nor his seed beg bread. And I will testify to you. I was young and now I'm old. And I have yet to see the righteous forsaken, nor his seed beg bread. So now as we go along, notice what happens next. There's a promise here, I will not forsake you. And then he says down in verse 20, as a result of doing all of these things, of pouring out the waters, of putting cedars in the wilderness, providing shade, taking care, you know, putting the juniper in the desert with the box tree and the cypress, all of these things, that, that's no place where these trees ever exist. But God is going to put them there. And He says that they may see who? Those who are afflicted and needy. Look, this is a chance for those who are afflicted and needy when God answers their needs to look at the, look at the way it, uh, the pattern goes in verse 20. They may see, they may recognize, they may consider and gain insight as well. Please notice that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. <clears throat> I do, I do a little practice with the pastors and, uh, and, and I've done it with others through my days uh, who, are, who lead and do church leadership positions where we talk about the seasons of their life as God called them to ministry and how they've served. And I ask them to go back, and this is my own practice, to go back at, at all the seasons of their life and ministry and see what God has done for them. Now I'm going to ask you the same thing as a believer. From the time you were saved to where you are right now, you've been through multiple seasons in your life. You, you, depending on your age, multiple seasons of your life. And as a result of the seasons of your life and what God has done for you, here's my question. Do you see it? Do you recognize it? Have you considered it? Have you gained insight into how God blessed you and helped you even when you know you didn't deserve it? 
You knew you were not in the right place. Have you seen it? Have you recognized it? We see, when I see and recognize these things, you know what it does? It causes me to worship and honor God. And I hope that you will think about that tonight. You see, Isaiah ends in verse 16. He says, You will glory in the Holy One of Israel, and then you will see and recognize and understand the hand of the Lord, the Holy One of Israel has created it. Look, God, by His hand of providence and in His ministry, life, and care for us, takes care of things we cannot explain. The unexplainable happens in the life of believers. It may not be quite as dramatic as it was for uh, in the early church with Peter, but Peter's asleep in the jailhouse, probably snoring really loud. And what did the angel have to do? He had to kick him in the side to wake him up. Now that's pretty good sleep, isn't it? You wouldn't think that a guy would be sleeping that soundly in prison. I guess he wasn't worried about it. The hand of the Lord. The gate opens. He walks out. He had a harder time getting in the church service than he had being in jail. Remember that? They knocked on the door and the, the dear girl wouldn't let him in. She wouldn't told him, well, Peter's out here. No, it's a ghost. No, it's Peter. Let him in. Let him in. The point is, have you seen God's hand? And have you recently paused and said thank you to the Lord for His good hand of mercy in your life? Well, now He comes back. He's called. God is... Uh, Isaiah uses these different... Uh, it's, like a, it's like a courtroom. Isaiah 41 begins by a call to the coastlands to come and give their account for what they've done. Now he comes back to verse 21. Present your case, the Lord says. This is God now uh, reminding Judah that there was no idol who ever spoke good news about their salvation. There's no good in idols. There's no value in idols. They, they don't speak. They have nothing to say. Bring forward your strong arguments, the king of Jacob says. Let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place now notice he begins to talk about events. God can tell you the future before it happens. God can, de can describe what's going to happen before it happens. Notice, but do idols, as for the former events, declare what they were, that, that, that we may consider them and know their outcome, or announce to us what is coming. You idols, tell us what's coming. Declare the things that are going to come forward, that we may know that you are God's. Indeed, do good or evil that we may anxiously look about us and fear together. And here's verse 24. Here's God's judgment about idols and their ineffectiveness. You are of no account, idols. Your work amounts to nothing. And he who chooses you is an abomination. If you are an idol worshiper today, your gods cannot save you. Your gods cannot save you. Whatever your idol is, whatever the idols are for modern man. No wonder John said it. We can be so, care so easily drawn back into idolatry. We must be careful ourselves and guard ourselves. So God reminds Judah uh, that He has promised to declare good news through Jerusalem. 
through the people of God. This was in Isaiah 40, verse 9. Uh, Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. You see, it was God's design that Israel, Judah, Jerusalem be the preachers of good news, the gospel good news that God saves. And this is what he said, Formerly I said to Zion, I will give a messenger of good news. And then he reminds them, well, we never heard any good news from idols. This is how he ends this in verse number 28. He says, But when I look, there's no one, and there's no counselor among them who, if I ask, can give an answer. Behold, all of them are false. He's describing now the failure of idolatry. Their works are worthless. By the way, you do know that idolatry was the cause of Babylonian captivity. But now we find this great transition, and this is where we'll come back next time. Look at the transition. God's saying, Behold, all these idols are false, and their works are worthless, and their molten images are wind and emptiness. And then all of a sudden, Behold my servant, whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. And here we go, here we go. One of these glorious glimpses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this great prophecy of His servant, God's servant. You see, Israel had been called to be the servant of God, but they failed to do it. Now God says, 42.1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. That's the one we follow. That's the one we serve. The Lord Jesus Christ. The servant sent by God. What did the Lord say? I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. To the praise of the glory of His grace, my dear friends. Let's honor Jesus tonight. And I hope you'll go home. I hope you'll do this tonight. I hope you'll go home and pause and think about how the hand of God has been good to you and how God's hand has stepped in and provided for you in so many different ways. Pause, see it, recognize it, think about it. Think about how just in time, how just in time God came through for you. Amen? Amen. I can think about many times. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. These words from the prophets are sometimes hard for us, but the Holy Spirit gives us understanding. You are, Lord Jesus, the Holy One. You are the image of the invisible God. You are the great I Am. You are He promised from the beginning, the seed of the woman. You are our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer. You are King. You are Lord. You are the beginning. You are the end. You start it. You end it. All things are held together by Your power. You created all things and You are the judge of all the nations. We pray that You might help us to honor and glorify You all the days of our life. May we follow You, our risen Savior, Lord, and our great High Priest. Lord, in our troubles, we call to You today 
as our high priest. We don't know what to do always, but we know we can call on you. Thank you for that blessing. Bless my brothers and sisters this week. And as we enter into this time of thanksgiving, we give thanks. We give thanks for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank for sending the Son that we might be saved because of His obedience and death on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.